Therapist Thrival Guide, where we cover all of the things that graduate school didn't teach you. Welcome to the Therapist Thrival Guide. My name is Miranda Barker. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Lucas Bellini, LMFT. Hello. And we are here to continue our conversation about innovation in therapy and and even more specifically, continue our conversation on technology and therapy. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about our virtual reality therapy program at Ellie, and we have LJ back today to talk more about technology and therapy. And we also have Dr. G here again. Yep. Yeah. To talk more about this too and how he's seen this used with clients and kind of some of his feedback on it. So without this further ado. This is going to be a nerd fest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just prepare. And LJ is my favorite nerd. <laughs> well, so little context. After we filmed the VR therapy episode, how... I think you hung I think we still we just talked. Kept going. We kept talking. Yeah, yeah we just t- kept talking for probably like an hour yeah. just about, you know, these different technologies you're seeing. Do you want to talk a little bit about the class that you're teaching too? Sure. Because I think that that is a, a cool segue into this. Yeah, sure. Of uh, This last fall, I taught a course with Kyle Ross and Kyle Keller of um, Emerging Trends in Psychotherapy. Um, Kyle, the, the Kyles took part of the course and did it on uh, psychedelic assisted therapy. Which, then, sorry, just to interrupt you. So you will recognize Kyle Ross's name because we've had him on yeah. several different um, of these of these podcasts, specifically the Navigating Tragedies one and also the Psychedelic Assisted Therapy one. Mm-hmm. And then Kyle Keller is actually one of the, he's the co-founder of Ellie Mental Health. And so that's how they fit into all yep. of this. Yeah, and so we would we kind of split it, and so they did part on psychedelic assisted therapy, and then I did half the course on emerging trend or on uh, uh, integrating tech into therapy, and then we've been asked back by St. Mary's to teach it again uh, here starting in May. Um, so we're going to teach the course again, um, which is cool. pretty cool. Sign me up. It, it's for audit. real. I'll audit it. it right. Actually, That's what you do to what, take uh, a course Kyle, for free. Kyle Minnis actually did. He actually sat in for it. All right, I'll audit part two. Nice. And Kyle Minnis has been on the podcast, too. It's kind of like a, a small world. <laughs> and, and we're actually going to be releasing another episode with Kyle, I think, next week about family systems yeah. and family therapy. Yeah, that so, was a fun one. Yeah, super uh, fun one coming up. And then, you know, Dr. G, and a lot of your work in developing and establishing specialty programs, technology is always one of those things that, you know, we have a lot of conversations about needs to be evaluated in the sense of, all the precautions, you know, that need to be taken and considered before you start implementing new technologies into therapy. Uh, and so there could be a pretty rigorous process of scrutinizing the research and what's out there uh, as you evaluate, you know, whether or not this product has proved its merit, you know, for implementation, or if it's something, you know, we feel like we just need to pump the brakes on. That's a really good segue into one of the first things that we want to talk about today is something called Endeavor RX. And that is... It's the first FDA approved? Yeah, it was actually the first FDA digital therapeutic of, um, I, I think it was around 2020, maybe a little bit before, of uh, they were the first to gain FDA approval for basically a video game. Of, uh, and so they, were, they created it to be able to take the kind of the established protocols for treating ADHD like of um, go, no go, uh, task switching, things along those lines that therapists will be familiar with, and move that into a video game environment to be able to enhance that. And then as they did that, they actually gained FDA approval going through that whole vetting process um, that now that's the first video game that actually you have to have a prescription to be able to play. So 
Endeavor RX is for ADHD. Is it for any other diagnoses that you're it's aware of? Primarily ADHD. Okay. Yeah. How would someone go through, like, if, mm-hmm. I don't know if Dr. G, you can speak to this too, or I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but, like, if you, if you're a 12 year old kid yeah. or, like, maybe a 13 year old kid or something, mm-hmm. you're seeing a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And um, is it a psychiatrist that would prescribe it? could be any doctor, right? I mean, anybody has prescriptive authority. So, you know, it, it could be uh, a physician. It could be probably a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant, right, in, in the locality where you're at. But, you know, you got to get a – I mean, this is maybe part of the discussion too, right? I mean, there's pros and cons of uh, kind of following – this is an example of following the systems that are already in place, like, you know, the medical machinery, right? You know, and so, you know, obviously, you know, people are trained in that and we understand it and that's kind of how we use other therapeutics right now there's a lot of ways where people are just going way outside of that, which is great too. And now it's like, well, you leave out all that access, right? Mm-hmm. So and, and the people who created Endeavor RX said, well, well, I don't like this work, so why don't we just go through all the work to prove it the way that we prove other things mm-hmm. and try to get into that avenue, right? And so, mm-hmm. which is great in a way that, you know, the FDA looked at it just like they look at any other device and would have proven safety and efficacy in this specific population, but then it's now it's like FDA approved, so what does that mean? So that, you know, mm-hmm. so it's got an indication for ADHD for a specific age group, but it also means that you can prescribe it off-label, so mm-hmm. you can prescribe it for anything, but you need somebody who can prescribe, and then what, is, what does that mean? Well, that means that you get a prescription for it. You can't go to a pharmacy to fill this, right? You, right. Don't, you don't go to Walgreens. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so they have, my understanding is they have a system set up where then you'd submit the prescription right to their distributor, um, which is basically their company, and then you can kind of get it. I don't know that insurance has covered it, but certainly they could choose mm-hmm. to cover it as part of their kind of package now, and so then you got to pay for it, however, and this whole this whole kind of system, you know. So it's, it's nice in that it's gone through the work to prove safety and efficacy. Um, you can talk to your doctor about it, and hopefully they'll be educated about it, but it's one of these things that any newer thing you'll have to do some advocacy worth with your provider and it's and so you've gained access in that way at the same time like you said you need a prescription for it now mm-hmm. right so now it's like something that's proven safe and efficacious you can't just get right yeah now you have to go through a middle a, a, a physician or some a prescriber to get it so it's double-edged sword in that way right mm-hmm. yeah. why do you like so the advantage to going through all of the process of FDA approval is really just to show that efficacy and to really establish it as like, this is something that works versus um, like later in this episode, we'll talk about Mightier where, um, you know, similarly it's a video game and um, you can just sign up for that subscription too. And so I'm curious like pros and cons of both ways. No, I think that's a great discussion. And I, you know, you can't put yourself in, in their shoes, but I would, you know, I mean, I would assume that the biggest kind of benefits would be, you know, you do it in a way, in a language that people already speak. So, you know, people who, you know, commonly, you know, if you're seeking treatment for ADHD, commonly you're going to go to the medical industry, and so you put something through that industry so that, you know, then people understand what that means, right? And then they can kind of build it into their practice and their treatment protocols. And then the other one has to be to try to eventually leverage payer coverage by the mm-hmm. pe- by the way that people would otherwise pay for their health care prescriptions or visits right and so I don't know that it is right now but you know certainly down that path is to try to 
get insurance coverage and get yeah. coverage just like you would pay for any other health condition. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think part of it too is of I can I, looking at the product, I can understand why they wanted to ensure that there was a mental health provider involved with the use of the product. And this is kind of what's going to differentiate it between from Mightier and Endeavor RX because Endeavor RX is really designed to be used in conjunction with therapy mm. because like part of it is that a lot of the telemetry data is being sent back to the provider to be able to use that as part of the ongoing therapy. So the way that it's designed is really for something to be able to facilitate and further treatment between therapy sessions. So often, like when you think about from a therapist perspective, often enough, we conclude a session and then we say, go forth into the world <laughs> and please do these things and then let us know how it goes. Mm -hmm. And then we'll pick back up and make adjustments then when you come back in. What a tool like this does is it's designed really to be from the end of session to the next session that the, ch the kid, because this is designed between, I think, up until age about 13, is um, that, the, that the child is able to engage in therapy using the, the designed tools that we're looking at. And what it does is it will adjust the therapeutic intervention based on how the child is performing on those tasks. Mm -hmm. So rather than having to wait between sessions to be able to readjust where is the amount of therapeutic intervention that's occurring, Video games are great at being able to scale. Hmm. And so that is something that it's, it's designed to be able to make those adjustments, to be able to keep the therapeutic intervention within kind of that zone of proximal learning. Yeah. I mean, every field has got a different term for it, but it's that sweet spot between, it's challenging enough that they're engaged, but it's not so difficult that they rage quit, mm -hmm. of that they're like, I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. of, and so it's able to do that fluctuation without the therapist because it has that kind of built-in tolerance of how much it can ingest without the therapist intervention. And so it's able to continue that therapy without the therapist involved, mm -hmm. but then it's able to bring that telemetry data back in because it's part of what's the appeal with that too is we always deal with self-report bias. How did it go between sessions? Kid says, great, parent says, awful. <laughs> you know, sorry, which one's, which one's accurate? And they're both wrong. Mm -hmm. Of where we can use this then to be able to actually get an actual evaluation and then hear the self-reports, see where they differ and be able to use all of that data. But it, just to kind of separate out between, like they're doing that little bit of gatekeeping, I think, mm. to ensure that a mental health professional is involved with the process to be able to keep that on track yeah. versus like Mightier, which can be used in conjunction with a therapist mm -hmm. or good luck, you know, yeah. here, here you go. And, you know, which has its own benefits, but mm -hmm. that's kind of the way that I separate out. That makes so much sense. Yeah. No. And I appreciate that. Like, background do you know what endeavor rx looks like have you seen any of the yeah there's actually there's there's a really great one and i can't remember the name of the guy he does a really if you just google on or if you look on, on um, youtube for endeavor rx live gameplay oh, okay. doctor cool. i think you'll probably get it and it's about an hour-long segment on a guy it's a physician who specializes in involving tech in medicine and he does like an hour long where he got uh, access to it and does live where he's playing it and narrating where are the therapeutic interventions, why are these happening, hmm. where is he seeing, why this is actually differentiates between a video game and actual therapeutic intervention, and walks through the actual gameplay. 
to be able to show how that works. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, I'll have to put a link in the description yeah, we'll because I think I think that's too. really yeah. it'd be cool to see how that works and like see him kind of, you know, or to follow along with how how that works. Yeah. Interesting. So, so I've never I don't think I've ever heard the term digital therapeutics mm-hmm. before. Um is that have you heard that Dr. G? Are you familiar Not with that used concept? That way, no, yeah. What's yeah. like what's the culture around this stuff in med school? Like, did it come up at all? Was it emphasized? Was it even acknowledged? Well, I mean, not that term. No, not in but my like training, the you know, the it. implementation of technology and more direct uh, kind of integration of technology in treating mental health. Yeah, I mean, in my training, I mean, definitely as these things came up, I mean, it was wasn't something that was as developed to be in, say, the didactics yet. You know, at least in, in my program, but it was definitely something that came up kind of case by case, right? Which I think is kind of where we're at in this space anyways, Pretty right? Much. You know, it's trying to be, you know, we kind of have, you know, this path of what we know works best for a lot of people, right? The 80% maybe, and then it's the 20% where whatever reason it's not working, we're going to try something different. Where can we be more advanced here? And it's this kind of discussion that we have to like, where can we pull the right resource to be there? And we got to add to that tool set, right? You know, to kind of do that. I love how it it has me thinking how interesting it is that there's really no feedback loop in between therapy sessions on a week-to-week basis. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially the more that kind of trying to invest in your mental health and improve upon your mental health mm-hmm. aligns with how we go about doing that for physical exercise in our physical yes. bodies. It's like I couldn't imagine a exercise program or a fitness program that you would do one day a week for an hour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and so it's it's and this is what i think technology and therapy is going to do in many aspects uh is get us to start rethinking about everything you know not only how we integrate it uh but what can we learn from it to optimize what it is we've already been doing and i think that that's the key piece is it really especially the piece the last piece that you just mentioned which is i have a very strong feeling that i'm not a fan of integrating tech just for the sake of integrating tech yeah. That I think is very problematic yeah. because then you're trying to cram a square peg into a round mm-hmm. hole. But it's to really be able to acknowledge of going, what does tech do well? And how can we use that to be able to do things that otherwise would be either very difficult or impossible to be able to do in therapy? Well, and that's so much of the conversation we had about virtual reality. Correct. Yep. Was of like for VR, it's how do we bring the outside world in? Like you can't really bring an MRI machine into the therapy room, but I can, mm-hmm. you know, using using VR, I, I can put you into an MRI machine, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to work with that. But like in this space of like looking at something like Endeavor RX or even potentially Mightier, I'm not sure if they have a communication loop back to the data, but you can, we're talking about how that, that adjustment of the therapeutic intervention between sessions, you can't really do that mm-hmm. all that well as a therapist without the use of technology. The other part is that like, like that has an example of that that instantaneous um, uh, action by the client and reward. Mm. Bing! You get a coin. Mm-hmm. You get points. You just win 50 points or whatever it is. You're getting this immediate stimulus response that otherwise may not be present. It would have been delayed until they got back to therapy and said, good job. Or maybe the parent would miss giving the reinforcement or these types of things. That we can do those types of responses automatically. We can use it to remove the third-party arbiter to remove that piece of the, somebody of a client going, you're just saying that to be nice, mm-hmm. 
when it's going, no, either you press the button on time or you didn't. <laughs> yeah. Either you hit, either you shot the car or you didn't. Mm -hmm. You can start to be able to do these types of pieces. And then to Lucas, to your point is to get the telemetry data as the week goes on. Using that type of system, if I saw the client on Monday and I was wondering, curious kind of how they're doing, I can pull up their data on mm -hmm. Wednesday mm -hmm. and be able to see, is this trajectory moving the way that we want? We can start to be able to do that type of interaction where otherwise if we didn't have that digital aspect with it, it would either be very difficult or next to impossible to be able to do those types of things. It makes treatment planning fairly easy where oh you're like, God. you're like, must reach checkpoint six. Yeah, well, and, and especially for things that actually have a somewhat of a, of a leveling progression. Yeah. We can do things mm -hmm. like that of like, I mean, just like with Endeavor RX of you can set it for um, the like the go, no go scenario where if you only shoot the red cars of, well, we can track that and we can, they can establish thresholds of what does from baseline, what does acceptable progress mean before we then switch to like task switching. Mm -hmm. So no longer it's the red car, it's the blue car. Now we're switching to the, we can, they can set those thresholds of what is that response rate that we need before that next stage happens, which we do as therapists all the time yeah. of staging that progression. But you can use the technology to be able to do it automatically, more accurately and better response. And I'm going to stop there. Oh, that's fascinating. <laughs> and I like how it, like, it keeps the individual engaged yep. in their development and progress, but it does it in a way where the therapist plays no part in it. Correct. You know, because when I'm, as I'm thinking about the different ways we could implement some of this stuff into just general outpatient therapy, or like that method yes. of keeping the client more engaged mm -hmm. and more feedback loops, it's not going to be your therapist texting you more no. or anything like that. Uh -huh. Like that would be, I think you only need to see a therapist once a week. Yes. Um, but to, to include other more. elements of, yeah, staying engaged and on top of that stuff. Like the client I yeah. see on Thursdays, I have no idea what they did on Tuesday. Yeah. No. We didn't get to Tuesday. We didn't. I think there's another aspect of that too, which is that engagement piece. It's going to sound wild and crazy, but we actually want clients to like do these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we have to be able to be sure that it's being done and these therapeutic interventions, those underlying constructs that we're trying to work on are being delivered in a way that the client's actually going to use them. Mm. The analogy, the, the way I was really thinking through of how to be able to explain this, it would be kind of the equivalent of if you started with a new physician and the physician you found out said, I will only take scheduling and all communication with me by handwritten letter. And I'm also going to only inform you of everything that I need you to do and all your test results by handwritten letter. And that's the only way we're going to talk. And there's no telehealth and you have to come physically in. How many appointments do you think you would have? <laughs> I don't know. How much are stamps Yeah, now? <laughs> you know, but if it was, it, it's like going, okay, that is a valid way of mm -hmm. communicating, mm -hmm. but that's not how I engage with the world. That's not how I engage with communication with information, with tasks, we have to do similar. As, as generations have a different relationship with technology, we have to recognize that if we don't align with how people engage with the world, they just won't show up. Mm. They're not gonna do the things that we want, that we feel are gonna be helpful. So we have to use the mediums that they're actually engaged with. So this is, I mean, I think, you know, I kind of see that as a couple of different of the benefits yeah. of technology, right? Like yeah. one is, this whole spectrum of engagement, yeah. like 
you know, can we engage? Should And it's a question, like, should we engage? Mm-hmm. You know, how much should we engage between session, right? And how much should we just, like, let them live their life and integrate what we worked on in, in those sessions? And part of it is meeting people where they're at, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, and just the time, the way that society moves and the time delay to follow the system, right? Like, if you look at, you know, some of the biggest trials on, on you know, especially, you know, being a child psychiatrist in child psychiatry and child therapeutics, you know, like you look at those manuals, which are open source, like the coping cat, it's like mm-hmm. archaic. It's like a coloring mm-hmm. book, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but at the same time, like that's what it takes to get evidence. And we don't have new evidence to that level yep. of something new yet. At the same time, you know, like people are, you know, we can have a video game. Well, I mean, maybe another example of that is, you know, Sparks. I don't know if you know that CBT video game out of New Zealand, I think. Um, but they've got great data for that. Um, and it follows, like, a lot of CBT skills. It looks horrible. <laughs> like, you know, by the time by the time you get all the data, technology yeah. to create just the visuals of it has, has advanced so far. And oh, now, we're, yeah. now we're looking at AI, so now we're talking about video games. And by the time we get enough evidence for these video games, we're going to be way beyond that, right? So, like, that how do we shameful. these things, you know? Especially, like, meet them where they're at. It's, like, right. youth of today. If they th- see anything in low resolution, they think it's, it's broken. I'll throw yeah. up. Like they think it just doesn't work. Yeah. And they move on. It's no. It's not a value. <laughs> and and that's legitimate. Mm-hmm. And that's not something to ignore. Mm-hmm. And that's just so interesting <laughs> too. Just the amount of resources that got put into that, mm-hmm. and none of it went toward the aesthetic. It, and actually, that brings up for both both Dr. G and, and Lucas the point that you were just touching, and I think it's very important because it leads into another part, which is. The difference between integrating these types of programs that are commercial off the shelf versus purpose built. Mm. So like Endeavor RX and Mightier are purpose built. These were designed specifically for therapeutic interventions or the programs that we use that Austin and I use for virtual reality. Mm. Those are all purpose built for therapeutic interventions. Those are different than things that are commercial off the shelf. Like in, rather than playing sorry with a kid to be able to make them angry so you can like work on emotional regulation. Um, I had a 10 year old a uh, boy that I was working with anger management issues and we played Fortnite and there's nothing like pissing off a kid to have him get sniped oh, you know yeah, uh, get just pegged off in the head yeah. it was awesome but it's but I that was taking a commercial mm-hmm. off the shelf game yeah and I had to adapt my therapeutic yeah. intervention mm-hmm. yeah. to use it which is different than the than the purpose built there's a drawback often the purpose built look like crap because they're built to be therapeutic, mm-hmm. they're not built for entertainment. Hmm. So the commercial off the shelf will have often these really awesome gameplay mechanics, visuals, sounds, music. They're not the most therapeutic. <laughs> but do but, they know that? Like, do they know that if they design their exact same program, but to have an aesthetic that reflects more of what kids are accustomed to when they play a video game? that it would diminish the therapeutic effect? Well, I think, now, you're, you've seen Endeavor. What does that look like? I mean... That one's actually not too bad. It looks Th- pretty that, good. That one actually looks pretty good. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, Mightier looks like a normal video game. Yeah. 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 Um, they're, so getting, I, they're getting better at it. Yeah, that but makes it's just, sense. it's just a caution that sometimes the ones that are designed for therapy... <laughs> They're focused so focused on therapy, they miss the game mechanics. Yeah. So anybody who plays video mm. games is like, that's not how that's supposed to move. Right. Mm. <laughs> uh, because they're so focused on the clinical outcomes that they miss the other pieces. Oh, oh yeah. But the time course where we're at here, right? I mean, I don't know what their kind of project plan for Endeavor is, right? But you think about where we're at now, okay, like how many years until like they like get 
the local insurance company to pay for it. Once mm-hmm. you can do that, then like we can give it to like a ton of people, right? Yeah. yeah. And by then, like, have they invested to update the graphics mm-hmm. to what it is to like a year exactly. from now? Right? It's just like you have to you have to manage both sides of it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, on the flip side of the purpose built is yeah. like you know how do we integrate tech into that purpose built a little bit better? At the, on the other side, like how do we how do we integrate you know moral psychotherapeutic aspects into just commercial built yes. off the shelf stuff like mm-hmm. you know yeah. all the mm-hmm. science yeah. that's going into making that addictive and catchy and rewarding in the way that's going to make you play and spend more money on it like why mm-hmm. can we integrate some of that science to know that's going to make you feel better too yes mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. is there value in some realm to like start to integrate in just the science of making games and stuff right mm-hmm. totally agree that's uh that's, that's the world of it's a profit driven industry you know, and so I think we would have to build the case as to how it can become more morally intentional without diminishing at least too much of the profit Let, or just legislate it. Yeah. Let, so let's switch gears and talk a little bit about Mightier, too, though, because I think it is I, I had never heard of it until Dr. G brought it up to me. And um, it, it's very different than Endeavor RX. Like it has it serves some of the same purpose where, um, you know, people can it, I think that it's for six to 12 year olds. And um, kids who have outbursts, anger, um, temper tantrums, ADHD, autism, that whole thing. But um, it's interesting because it's a, it's just an iPad game. And they you have a monthly subscription and they send you like a heart monitor that um, syncs to this game. And I was watching, I was just like poking around their website and it's, I think the, the main purpose is like building coping skills, you know, practicing breathing, trying to kind of regulate yourself. And it's just interesting to me that because they have a bunch of different games and, and like as you get as your heart rate goes up, it actually the games get harder. Mm-hmm. And then it once it gets to a certain there's a little corner of your screen that actually um, will show like your heart rate. And so then. Um, and I've never played this game. I've just kind of poked around the website, but, um, it's so interesting because if your heart rate gets too high, if you're starting to get too angry, it'll kind of pause the game and walk you through like an exercise for coping and like bringing your heart rate back down. And so then you, you have this challenge to calm yourself. It's like the gamification of bringing your heart rate down and calming yourself down. And it like when you're looking at the science behind that, it seems like it's actually working too. It, it doesn't, it, I don't think it communicates to therapists, but it does communicate to parents. And so I would imagine that parents would be able to share some of that too. But I just am fascinated by like the use of some of these tools, you know, in schools and therapy at home, all of these different things. Um, and just, it, it just seems really cool. But I think that fascination is an important part and maybe too for, you know, kind of the therapist listening is like just to kind of keep that curiosity right I mean that you know that specific example it's like you know even though I'm you know interested in this stuff and you know I hadn't come across that and it came from a client you know mm-hmm. who's like you know hey have you ever heard of this like should I be looking like is this a real thing so then I look it up right and then I see it's from the group at Mass General and it's got all this research behind yeah. it and then that you know I kind of validate it through my lens mm-hmm. now I'm like okay yeah like yeah that seems pretty reasonable why don't you tell me how that goes right mm-hmm. and and then also I've recommended it to a number of other clients right yeah is one of those tool things right so like some of the stuff that's on the forefront we can find it awesome at the same time like we got to listen to clients and and continue to be curious there right Mm -hmm. like 
you know, and be open to it, and then we can kind of build it in. So your clients that have used it, have they given you any feedback or told you what they think about it? I've had some people who have found it really helpful. Uh, I have one parent who was like, they like beat it. Or like, <laughs> you know, they're just like, they were just good enough. They like blew right through it, right? Oh, yeah, it, yeah. You know, but I've had a number of clients that have found it super, super helpful. That's a really good point. So the mightier people recommend that you only play it like 15 or 20 minutes a day, three times a week or something for 90 days. Endeavor too. I was going to say, minutes. I thought Endeavor had... 30 minutes per day. And Endeavor actually... Like the game shuts off, doesn't it? Does. it? It'll, it'll, it'll See, lock you out. I don't think Mightier does that, does that, and I think Endeavor, like that, does make a lot of sense. Otherwise, if you're enjoying a game, you are just going to blow right through it. That makes oh, sense. It's supposed to be therapeutic. It's just like you wouldn't, you wouldn't sit with your therapist all day, or if no. you felt like Prozac was helpful, you wouldn't just <laughs> take, you know, a bunch of them, right? Like, you know, but yeah. video game, you're approaching it from a different avenue. Where yeah. you're just like, well, sometimes I just don't play video games all day, so why not this one, right? And, and especially because it. it with looking at it from the therapeutic lens, part of why we, I think in part, that we kind of keep it time to eliminate besides very monetary reasons, but also we want them to be able to have it a digestible amount. We don't want to be, give them a power bar first full of like 50 different things and then expect them to be able to figure out what's what. Yeah. You know, we want them to be able to have this, have the experience, stop, be able to be able to process it deal with it, you know, kind of work with it before engaging with it again. And yeah. If you're doing a marathon, eight-hour session of it. Uh, well, they're probably not learning as much because the, that repetition is so helpful to actually, like, ingrain some of these skills. Correct. No, that makes a lot of sense. Is, is the point of that video game to play it as long as you can without getting aroused or escalated? That's a good question. Um I don't know that answer. I mean, I, I don't think I mean, they don't they recommend that you play it 20 minutes a day. They don't recommend that you just see how long you can play it because the game the game doesn't. But like it gets more hard. Yeah. As you start to escalate. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't escalate at all, it's going to just be easy. Yeah. And I guess I'm just. Yeah. Like I, So is the goal to be able to stay in that non aroused state? I think the goal is to be able to bring yourself back down when you are. Yeah, because it also seems to like almost in a manipulative kind of way, yeah. like intentionally escalate. You. Yeah, because it gets harder and yeah, the, yeah. So yeah. it's like you start to get a little escalated, and then <laughs> it just ramps it up even yeah. more. And so maybe just yeah. Well, it just it's just my thought is, and you're just ex articulating part of why I think tech is so important is it can monitor that escalation and it and it can calibrate. Decrease yeah. difficulty, I think, in a lot more consistent mm -hmm. manner than just a therapist can, um, because it's kind of quantified and they've kind of gated what does di more difficult yeah. look like and at what rate. How do you titrate that? You know that 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 ramping, and it, then how? What are the thresholds to be able to say that you should ramp it mm -hmm. or should you bump them back down? To be able to do something else mm -hmm. to relearn the skill, it can it can it can do that in a more objective way mm -hmm. than I think even a human therapist would be able to. Yeah, um, going back to that window of tolerance and yeah, yeah. and just like and, be, making it challenging. Yeah, enough. and really and really actually using the data mm -hmm. of what is happening, not what our what our as the therapist perception is or the self report of the kid yeah. or the parent is. It's just it's actually using that to titrate, like you were saying, Lucas. Which is a huge, huge benefit, absolutely. Okay. You know, at the same time, I mean, I think this brings up another good point, is that just because it's 
technology doesn't mean it's good, right? No. I mean, you know, just because it's medicine doesn't mean it's good. And we see this in kind of naturopathic stuff too, just because it's a supplement doesn't mean it's good mm-hmm. for you, right? Like, you know, in this situation, right, what you're saying is like, if you're exerting control, like that's the skill to like, you know, you kind of rev up, you exert control down, you learn that skill, right? But at the same time, like if you just approach it where you're essentially numb, Brute force. you know, you you excel at this game, right? But <laughs> the goal is not to be numb. The goal is to like exert yeah. control, right? So, yeah. you know, in some sit, we all have to like take this with a grain of salt. Like situations, this can be helpful in situations. It's actually not therapeutic in. That goes with everything we do, mm-hmm. right? But like, we don't want to ever approach anything that like, this is good, this is bad, yeah. right? And I, I was just gonna say, I think that that kind of is is similar to the conversation we had about VR too, because it's. Endeavor and Mightier and VR and these other technologies are tools. They're not like meant to be the whole therapeutic experience either, right? Like, I mean, it's really meant to come alongside to support the, I mean, I guess I I can't speak to Mightier as much, but it's like, it is, these, these are, if we're viewing them as tools and how we as therapists can include them or, you know, continue the work that we're doing with our client in other ways to supplement it i think that that's key too and if if we can cultivate that in our clients that's a really useful framing of things right because i mean mm-hmm. we all just want to be you know, we all just want to be fixed right or mm-hmm. we all just want to be better right but you know it's like our brain doesn't work that way it's yeah. super complex right and so, like, it's got to integrate into our life in between sessions. It's got to yeah. integrate in how we do things, and there's going to be a piece of it that's going to be this, and there's going to be a piece of it that's that. And, you know, like, we just, if we can all come to a place where we cultivate that way of approaching it, we're going to, you know, we can go along the journey instead of just seeking a yeah. solution. Because mm-hmm. with, and similar to the physical body, I would love to just be in shape right now. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, if someone could just make that happen, mm-hmm. I'd do it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I've, I've, I've looked into every work around out there. <laughs> You're going to have to exercise. Yeah. I would have to start exercising, mm-hmm. working out, eating healthier. Mm-hmm. And it's hard, mm-hmm. you know. And so when we look at our mental health, it's the same thing. And so it's exciting to see a lot of, you know, new innovations that are at least creating new avenues. They help know, us for, be more consistent, yeah, too. Yeah. 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 And I think that it's that consistency that I think is part of where my appeal is mm. with, with kind of that integrating in the tech because therapists are human. We get distracted and we, we go down rabbit holes. Mm-hmm. Client comes in with something interesting. We kind of go wandering yeah. off and we, you know, they kind of pull back where we can use some of these things to be able to not only for a therapist, for, for our clients to be consistent, but you know, also kind of keep us on track too to be sure that we're kind of following the trajectory that we're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we have to, you know, we have to be that way as therapists, too. Like, we don't want to become machines, right? Exactly. You know, like, this is the whole spectrum of things, you know? Pendulum like, swing. you know, it's great to have the objective data to say, hey, did you meet this threshold in that game? Yeah. You know, like, you could probably become a robot and just do this. Mm-hmm. Like, this could be your whole <laughs> this could be your whole practice, right? Yep. You kind of manage numbers all day long, right? It, but then you kind of lose track of everything, yeah. too, right? So yeah. it's like this whole balancing mm-hmm. act. I'm curious, what are some other technologies that you're seeing um in this space, like good, bad, ugly, great, all of it. I can speak to it part. Of, I think part of like where the digital therapeutics is coming from, and that movement toward whether it should be FDA approved or how, but how to be able to get a little bit of oversight mm. comes actually from some of the really bad things that have happened, because tech 
right now, because it is a little bit of a wild west of how is tech integrated into health, I think it's a little bit more on the medical side, but on the mental health side, it's still pretty rough of anybody can create an app mm-hmm. and they can do so. And there's been a couple of cases where of um, we were talking just before the podcast of two of them that I can think of. One where they were trying to create, um, obviously, somebody who'd never done substance use treatment of uh, creating an app to try to help people avoid triggering situations when dealing with substance use disorder. And so they geofenced areas where they're drug dealers of in the hopes that people would get a warning to be able to go, don't go into this area because your favorite drug is being dealt and any therapist can tell where that went. And they basically <laughs> created a homing yeah. function yep. for people to be able to find the best drug dealers. The world's the first. Most, the yeah, world's the first, first app. The first to app find to find your drug live, dealers. Live? Live, yeah. And it's right live time telling you the, where I'm the sure it specified what drugs they're selling. Yeah, actually, I think it did. <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if it had <laughs> of, the current uh, market rates. How did it no, know that? that? Uh, just of like pockets of like where meth dealing is. And that, that is, it was like, it yeah, was they, probably, they probably partnered yeah. with law enforcement. It reminds me of the Gas Buddy um, yeah. do you know app where it's like it tells you where all of the gas stations are yeah. and how much they are yeah. and oh my gosh yeah it's kind of along those lines and so again if the, so you could see how somebody who said we want to get into the mental health and like substance use space this sounds like a really cool idea but probably never talked to anybody yeah. who works in the field to go oh my god this is a horrible idea but they made it of, they could have talked to plenty of people. Well, in the field that's true too. Who um, didn't have that foresight? That's, that's true. I was I was giving therapists the benefit of the doubt yeah. there. Yeah, I don't do of, that. Or another one that was that was an AI app that was created with the intent of if somebody's highly depressed, but it's like three in the morning, they mm-hmm. can't get a hold of the therapist. They can't call their social networks. At least they could have an AI bot that would do like basic CBT or things like that. This is going to go well. Yeah, it ended up that once the symptoms got bad enough, the AI start, started to tell them to drink. Uh, <laughs> and so the AI, the AI went off the rails and started, it was not an intended, it was not like developed in there, but it no. happened. And so, yes, there are, this is part of like what Dr. G was talking to, of going, we have to, we have to be the, the, the ones who are looking at these these pieces of like your client who was smart and brought it to you and said is mightier. What do you think? We kind of, we have to be, because we don't have that vetting process really established right now for this field, mm-hmm. it, the onus is kind of on us to be able to determine, is this safe? Is this okay? Is there actually re- evidence to be able to support this? And then to Dr. G's point of going, and now how do we actually use it? Mm-hmm. I know what it says on the box, but like to your point of going, somebody could just numb their way through some of these pieces. Yeah, that's not what we want. And so we we have yeah. to, we I think especially in something that's emerging like this, we have to have a much more active role in how our clients are engaging with it or how we're we're bringing it mm-hmm. forward. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's a different way of, you know, kind of this discussion comes up in the medical field a ton, but you're kind of practicing to your level of training. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, is our level of training really looking at numbers or like reading the box? No, our level of training is like evaluating things at a complexity level that integrates all of our intelligence, right? And so like if we can use these things to like heighten our practice and heighten our expertise to reach more people or reach them in the way that we can or to leverage something in a better way, like that's, you know, better use of our time yeah. and better for the clients. Yeah, and I think it's really that clinical judgment. Yeah. <clears throat> because, I mean, as, as we've been talking, at, at, at times it can seem like 
at least for myself, that I can make it sound like this is a, a panacea and that this is just the most wonderful thing and there's no problems with it. That's just not mm. the case. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of ways that this can go off go off the rails. What is it? Uh, uh, in, in igneous harm, when the therapy actually causes harm. I can never remember the term. When the therapy oh. itself causes it. I mean, we. it's just like in therapy, we recognize that some of the therapeutic interventions, even in talk therapy, if they're done incorrectly or yeah. done for the wrong reasons, yeah. the wrong goal alignment, things like that, we can actually cause more damage. Iatrogenic. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's it. Thank you. God, it was. Wait, like, what I is it? Iatrogenic. That's yeah. it. It's, I told you I'd be nerd hour. <laughs> that's right. Yes. I'm also a linguistic guy. Of, um, but that this is not new. We tend to think of like demon tech. You know, we have to kind of worry about the, the horrors of, of this, mm -hmm. but. Seriously, you have to worry about the same problem with CBT. We just don't talk about it much. Oh, True. I talk about that plenty. Well, I know. You and I have opinions <laughs> about CBT. But it's we have to – we miss at times, yeah. I think, that the therapeutic interventions that we're doing have as much risk as potentially integrating this mm -hmm. attack. And we have to use both in similar yeah. ways. Especially with AI. I mean, we haven't even come close to figuring that out for the general public, you know, but to utilize it in therapy yes. at this point that's – I'm shocked that even got approved for use. But I did well, ask. Well, but who approved it? Well, I don't know. Who, That's the thing. Oh, nobody no, did. Oh, yeah, I no, guess it's just therapy a, the marketing, world. The yeah. marketing department, mm -hmm. you know, of some company approved it. Wow. That should be a lawsuit then because that's, <laughs> that's a, a that's I just it, I think it was. Oh yeah, that's I mean the forces at play though, there's just a giant vacuum of need. And so mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we see this in all the realms. I mean, just people are suffering, you know, we don't have a we don't know how to make it better fast enough. We don't have enough people, right? So I mean things are gonna come into that gap. Yeah. You know, and we've got these tremendous tools, you know, um, which you know, AI is a great example, but they're gonna they're going to come into that void, you know, just out of the need for it, out of altruism, yep. and it's not going yeah. to go well. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or profit. Yeah. Both. Yeah. yeah both. And so it could come from both ends. You yeah. know, profit-hungry companies seeing opportunities and also people that are righteously, you know, wanting to help yes. by innovating ways to do so. And missing the mark. And missing the mark. Yeah. You know, I, I did ask, I talked to chat GPT all the time. Oh, um, me too. I and I asked it, I asked I asked it in like a tough guy voice. I was like, do you think you'd be a better therapist than me? Mm -hmm. um, and it said, because of my inability to experience human emotion, mm -hmm. that that'd be a significant limitation in <laughs> an artificial intelligence system's ability to help other humans therapeutically. And I was like, that's right. <laughs> that's actually pretty I'm glad impressive. we agree. <laughs> you um, inanimate object, you. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I think that's where I have to put a book in on AI, or else this whole thing will derail quickly. Yes, it will. Uh, there was one technology. Was like... There was a technology that was pitched to me uh, that I think it's a brilliant technology. It's essentially a group of researchers co coded a program to track. It'll, it'll record 30 seconds of someone's spoken dialogue, mm -hmm. and within 90 seconds, it gives you, like, their exact stress level, like, in that moment. And so it was pitched to me to implement in, you know, maybe teletherapy, maybe our wellness consultations that we host. And so I was, I was impressed with the technology, uh, and the research was super solid. But as I thought about, like, what its use for a clinician's perspective you know, to know what your client's stress level is just in the immediate moment. It's like, mm -hmm. how truly helpful is that? You know, how truly helpful would that be? 
And I couldn't really come up with an answer, you know, because of one, if they're stressed, they're probably telling us that, or we can sense it because we're tuning to them because we're therapists, even, you know, in a teletherapy platform, there's still body language, um, you know, and so with that piece, but also, and, and therapy is not a generalizable environment, you know, so when they're sitting down talking with their therapist, that should ideally be at least one of the less stressful environments that they exist in. Uh, but it got me thinking like how, and this ties into what we were talking about earlier, like how can we get more feedback and data points? Like, I think it be, could be great if I could see patterns of a client's stress levels as it fluctuates on a weekly basis and start, start to identify that. patterns, mm-hmm. you know, and tie it to context yeah. and situations yeah. and people. That would be super helpful. It's in progress. Okay. It was actually at the APA, at the APA conference this last year of uh, in here in Minneapolis. Of um, I actually went to a session that was talking about they're working with the military, which was psychologists who were working with the military, and they, they adapted a, a, a smartwatch and then adapted the program, and they worked with whoever the smartwatch maker was to be able to really calibrate how they were going to operationally define stress, you know, a stressful event. But then they were using the, um, the, the GPS tracking plus time plus the stress markers to be able to map their week and be oh. able to start to see why is it on Tuesdays at four o'clock mm-hmm. you always lose it? Mm-hmm. Why does this suddenly spike? Oh, I meet with my boss. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, that was a little bit more obvious, but they would be like, why is it that you're fine all day, but at 4 p.m., this just goes off the chart? Oh, I go home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's going on at home? Yeah. Well, you I know, think and, that's great. And so they were, but it, what was cool is because they were using, like you were saying, to be able to go, how can we use this then to be able to track what is unperceived by the client? Because probably if they came to session, you said, how did you notice anything, any patterns this week? They'd be like, no, because mm-hmm. that's kind of the point is they're not attending to the things that we they're would. They're in it. Rather not, yeah, they're, they're in the middle of it. They can't see the pattern yeah. from the side of it. But so to your answer of going, yeah, no, that's work, that's coming. <laughs> yes, I, yeah. I can't wait to see you in 4K. <laughs> with that face you were making as I was talking about this. Um, and I'm glad that that's already in pro- process, one, so we could use it yeah. sooner, and two, because I really shouldn't be throwing away intellectual property on here well, in the case that that was an original and idea. The funny thing, too, is like as you're talking about as you were talking about that, I was just thinking about how I, I don't think we've ever even talked about like John Gottman stuff on here. Do you? I, I don't know. If, I, I love one of his books, but um. I like that's kind of what he does in his research where he records couples mm-hmm. having conversations. Oh, yeah. He has a, yeah. a B&B facial expressions like they yeah. can predict divorce at a 97% yeah. threshold by just having a computer analyze someone's facial expressions. Yeah, but even before they like I mean they've been doing this for for decades and yeah. and for a while it was just analysts that were looking at like oh that's a 4. Coding. You know that yeah yeah exactly. And so um it makes sense that we're moving into a place that computers can now do that and like we can use that data in other places because, um, I mean, I, yeah, because we've been able to kind of do that on a smaller scale but yeah. and predict that. You know, to take it away from the client and back, you know, off of your feedback uh, comment, Lucas, is, uh, you know, bring it back to the therapist. Like we don't get enough feedback on our interventions, right? So like if oh, we can yeah, use some of that stuff, data yeah. to yeah. say, hey, Whatever you did that session, bingo, right? Mm-hmm. Then you can kind of, then it can kind of, kind of awesome. build, build I your own, I haven't thought about right? that angle. That's really cool. You know? 
um, just to kind of build our own practice and expertise in what we're all doing. Because oftentimes, you know, the client kind of sees us and then they go off into the world. It's the same thing. We do something with the client, then they go off into the world and we're not quite sure, mm -hmm. you know. Didn't land. Right. Yeah. Did they actually integrate it? Until like 10 sessions later, <laughs> they go, you know that one time you said that and I've been thinking about that a lot and you're oh. like, ooh, tell me more. <laughs> really? what, did I, what knowledge did I give you? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that didn't land well. Right, so right. I moved on to something else. Or even like, I didn't remember saying that. <laughs> yeah, it's always right. one. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been a really cool discussion. Thanks for joining again and talking through more of this. I don't know if you have any other questions or thoughts, Lucas. Well, I'd say, LJ, you've, you've formally passed your interview into the innovation <laughs> lab that Dr. G and I host. So Absolutely. can't wait to have you there. You're going to love it. Very awesome. Looking yeah. forward to it, man. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for joining, guys. Thanks for having us. All right. Thanks for listening to The Therapist Thrival Guide, a podcast produced by Ellie Mental Health. Please be sure to subscribe and review this podcast on your favorite platform. I'm Miranda Barker, executive producer, Jesse Stenbroten is the technical director, and Julia Galloway is our incredible audio engineer. Our production team also includes Lucas Mooney and Two Fam. Special thanks to our incredible guests that join each week, and we'll see you next week. The Therapist Thrival Guide is one of many creative productions from Ellie Mental Health. Ellie is an outpatient mental health clinic that began in St. Paul, Minnesota, and has continued to expand to over 20 clinics in Minnesota and a growing number of franchisees across the country. We'll be opening over 500 locations in communities nationwide in the near future.